Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I would give you the thanks, the praise, the glory, and the honor for all you've done in our lives, for the miracles we've seen, for the graces we've received, for opportunities you've given us, and for the spirit that you've given us that empowers us in this walk. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would uh, anoint my mind and my mouth to uh, speak your heart uh, and your word. And Holy Spirit, let it be planted deep inside of our, our hearts so it would bear fruit for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this week we're going to start uh, a series on the Epistle of James. So we're going from Hebrews right into, into James for the next five weeks. So I'm going to start us out in James chapter one. And a little a uh, little bit of a background here. Um, James was written roughly A.D. 45 to 52. Um, I always like to to joke that you know when I was growing up, I always thought that A.D. meant after death. And then I was like, but the math doesn't add up, right? Because B.C. is before Christ, and A.D. is after death. Where, where, what about that 30-year gap? <laughs> you know, between the time he was born and, you know, and then I found out that A.D. didn't mean that. You know, I, well, my, my classics degree in college, I learned Latin, and then I found out that it meant Agno Domine, right? The year of our Lord. And so I was like, okay, that makes more sense, because it closes up that 30-year gap. Because, like, what do you call that? Like, the gap years? What is that? So... <clears throat> So the year of our Lord, 45 to 52. Uh, so this is actually happening during Paul's missionary journeys. James is here writing. Um, <clears throat> this is before the fall of Jerusalem. Jerusalem falls in 70. So we have a little bit of historical context going on there. If we take the early side of this, 45, this is barely over 10 years after Jesus' death. So like we're talking early... Time frame. This is somebody who, who knew Jesus, who walked with Jesus. This is like some distant person reflecting back, <clears throat> and so pretty much a primary source. That's a pretty good thing. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through. And I'm a big fan of like the reading of scripture, so we're going to do the chapter, and then I'll do a little bit of a breakdown at the end, just because I think hearing God's word. You know, the scripture says that faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord. And, you know, in 15 years, you'll probably never remember anything that I say in this sermon. But if you hear the scripture, it's going to resonate with the Spirit. So, I'm a big fan of that, because I believe God's Word is inspired. My Word, not necessarily as much. Uh, so, <clears throat> when we look at this, you know, most of us have walked the Christian walk for a while. We've, we've had some experiences. And... A, a really good way to simplify worldview is that there's pretty much, especially in the West, two ways to look at our what Christians would call the fallen world. Bad things happen, right? One of the big questions, where do bad things happen to good, to good people? You know, if God's so good. I'm not going to answer that question. Um, it's, it's a little bit deeper than that. One of the ways to look at it is kind of a nihilistic point of view that there there is no good God who's making good things happen, but he's letting bad things happen. It's this nihilistic view is that ultimately there is no objective meaning in life. It's all meaningless. 
any meaning that's there is meaning that we have personally attached to something. And at the end of the day, because we personally attach to it, whatever experiences we have, we're kind of alone going through it. Um, so I call it nihilistic. It's not very positive. <clears throat> the other way is uh, the Christian view, which says, yeah, life is full of struggles and hardships. You could call it suffering, uh, amongst other things. However, there is meaning because God has given us value. He's given us meaning. And these struggles and hardships, as tough as they are, are in reality, and James pulls this out, they're opportunities to become better. They're opportunities to grow in righteousness and opportunities to grow in our walk with God. Uh, the nihilists, this is the problem with the nihilistic view, because this is more uh, a modern issue anyway, since like Nietzsche, is that they have completely forgone the way that the ancient world has seen life. And in the ancient world, you have difficulties, and that builds your character. I mean, this isn't that part itself is not exclusively Christian. Um, the the Roman concept of virtue is tied up in that, and uh, the the Greek version of like the ideal man is caught up in in being able to overcome difficulties and grow and become a better person out of that. However, it misses the divine element. It misses that God connection. So we're going to look at this second way of seeing things where hardships do happen, happen, but they're opportunities to become better, to grow, and to draw closer to God, and to see God become faithful through difficult times. So that's what we're going to look at. <clears throat> because it's part of God's plan, one, to bring us into the family of God. God wants us to be part of his family. That was the whole reason he created Adam and Eve. He wanted human family members to work with him on the earth. And partnering with him, we also have a role to play in bringing redemption, Romans 8, redemption to all creation. We have a part to play in that. And to bring about a positive end in the middle of all of the fallenness. So we could say, like, well, my, my little life isn't going to affect a change in China, Right? Maybe not, but our faithfulness to God, if we put our faithfulness to the Lord in action, we advance a little bit of our part to play if all believers throughout all time in history have been faithful in doing that, that's a huge, massive undertaking. So all of us do our part by being faithful to the Lord, and we bring about this redemption. We do our part, God does his part, right? So, as we're starting on this series on, the, on the, the letter of James, the epistle, if you want to use the technical term, chapter 1 is a really good start. It gives us a practical start to understanding the redeemed life. So it kind of sets a foundation in understanding what this redeemed life is. And then it starts giving us some advice and acting it out. Which, James is a very practical guy. Um, so practical, uh, in fact, that uh, Martin Luther didn't really care too much for James's stuff because it was too practical because he wanted like only God can save and he he's like if I had my druthers I'd, I'd take James out of the scriptures because it's too practical so but you know Luther was a man of his time and uh, he was reacting to some other things 
So anyway, with that, we'll get into uh, the gospel of, or the, the epistle of James. So I'm just going to read through it, Twilight James 1, till the end of the chapter, okay? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered amongst the nations, called the Diaspora, where the Jews were scattered amongst the, the nations. A lot of them didn't end up coming back to Israel um, when Babylon let them, or when and Cyrus let them. So they stayed scattered. <clears throat> and so he's, he's addressing all of those. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, focus on that, whenever, not if, when, because it's going to happen, you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows, and in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that's James chapter 1. There's a lot there. It's like, what, 27 verses? <clears throat> but very practical. Like, first, builds an understanding of what this is, what God's done. 
Second, this is how we respond in kind. <clears throat> so we're going to break it into three basic sections. Section one, we're going to face hardships. It's a matter of how we approach it. it it's life. Life happens, right? Um, we've always heard that, you know, life isn't a, a bed of roses. And, and the Christian faith is the same way. It's not a bed of roses. And uh, there's a slight cynical side of me that always likes to like, yeah, and, right? So the, the, so the cynical yeah and to the bed of roses is, even if it was, uh, those roses have thorns. And those thorns can hurt just as bad. So we're going to have hardships. How do we approach it? And this is going to break down roughly verses 2 through 8 that we looked at. James gives us the advice. He says, view trials as challenges and hardships and difficulties uh, they're, they're challenges, they're, they're opportunities to grow. And he says, you want to look at them as opportunities to grow in this. They could be external sources. You know, like, I could walk into work tomorrow and for whatever reason they might just say, you don't have a job here anymore. Like, that happens. You know, like, if that happens, that's going to be a hardship. That's going to be a trial. Also, internal sources. We all have like an internal dialogue that we have in our minds. And a lot of times those are negative internal dialogues. Sometimes it's, it's born out of um, like a false value system that we've adopted when somebody of influence has given us years ago and we've adopted this kind of a false unhealthy identity. It could be that. It could be our lack of confidence in something to say like, oh, I could never do that. Um, I've actually got a niece. I think she's like eight or nine, and um, her, her parents like, are always frustrated with her because they'll tell her to do something, and she takes a long time to like, listen. So they get on to her, I told you to do this, I told you to do this. And at uh, one time, Shannon was babysitting them, and so she was just watching this girl uh, get ready to do something, and she was just like, kind of talking to herself, like, I, I can't really do this, I can't do this. She had this negative self-talk that was paralyzing her ability to do like even simple things. And so once she noticed that, she, she took it to uh, her brother and sister-in-law and said, like, she's, she's got a negative dialogue that's preventing her from having the confidence to do things. And they're like, really? It's like, yeah, listen to her like, have, like, talk before she gets ready to do something. And they noticed it and they said, oh, wow. So like, there's this paralyzing effect that our internal dialogue has. And so now they understand that and they're able to work on that and help her improve that internal dialogue. And this is an eight-year-old girl, you know, like, like Alora, she, she's fearless. I mean, like, I have to get onto her for, like, getting on her bike and, like, just dirting out in the road. I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 you gotta stop and look both ways before a car comes, you know? She, she's pretty fearless in those things. Uh, so I couldn't imagine her being, like, paralyzed by internal self-dialogue. But her cousin totally is. I think, as far as I know, she's the only one out of the bunch that, that does that. But now the parents are able to like meet her where she's at and kind of talk her out of that and, and give her a more positive internal dialogue. So those challenges, those trials, those difficulties, it could come from an external source. You know, I could pull out of here and a car could just, boom, hit my van and whatever happens there. You know, like that would be an external source. How do I respond to that? How do I trust in God in that? 
And then also there's the internal source, like how do I come to terms with my own limitations, right? That I'm facing a hardship because maybe I took on a task that I'm not equipped to carry out or this internal dialogue that, that, that just paralyzes me. And then there's also situational sources. You know, like sometimes you have a hardship, you know, you get an emergency, you got to go into work, and then it snowed three feet the night before, and you can't get your car out of the driveway. Well, that wasn't an internal source, and that wasn't an external, like, something that somebody's doing to me. It's, it's a situation, right? It's, it's, that happened, and now I have to deal with it. So how do I, how do I deal with that? So there's, that happened. You, with, I don't know if you guys remember that snowstorm. It must have been like 2012 or something like that. Like, it was a massive snowstorm. You know, I was living down in Highwood at the time, and I was in this apartment, you know, me and three other guys, and this snowstorm came down, and the landlady had a, had a landscaping company that would come in, like, plow it out. That night, I remember, it was like 10 or 11 p.m., I was sitting in the living room, and I saw the taillights. I like, oh, somebody's pulling in. I looked up, and I was like, oh, it's the plow truck. They pulled in, because the way, the way it was set up was like, if this was the apartment, the parking was here behind the apartment, right? And so they, here's the driveway, and you had to go in here. So they would usually plow all that out. They came in. They drove to here, and then backed out and left. Nothing got plowed. So, you know, I was supposed to be at work the next day at like 8 a.m. So I got up, and I was like, it never got, I thought, well, maybe they're going to come back, you know, they get more equipment. They never plowed it. I woke up the next day. I had to call into work because I just, I couldn't even, couldn't get out of the driveway. Like, the snow drift was taller than the hood of my car. There's no getting out. So it took about four hours where the four of us had to get out there with shovels and dig ourselves out. On top of which, our neighbor had dug himself out and threw his pile in front of our cars. So we had his pile on top of our pile. That was the situation. <laughs> I called into work. I'm like, guys, I can't come in. There's just, there's no way. Like, I can't even get my car out. So I had to call in. But how do we deal with those? How do we grow in that? How do we well, one of the ways we grew in this is that we all banded together and, and we each dug ourselves out. So that was, there was a positive out of that. But those things happen, right? So there's external sources, there's situational sources, there's internal sources. How do we deal with that? How do we use these as opportunities to trust God, to partner with God, to come to a, a good ending on that? So hardships. And the good thing is that we're not in this alone. You know, like a lot of the hardships we face are going to be like things coming against us. But we have the promise of God that we're not doing this alone. You know, Jesus said before he left at the end of Matthew, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Like if we're talking about inner healing, if we're talking about growing in character, like we don't have to develop a perfect character on our own to win God's approval. That's what all the other religions talk about. What we have to do is partner with God and trust Him as He leads us into that character development. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And for us to do it on our own is going to be impossible. However, God is with us. What does Scripture say? With God, all things are possible. That's right. So we're not doing this alone. We've got God there. And James says... Not only is he there with us, so he'll do parts that's beyond our control. He'll also 
offer us wisdom if we're willing to take it. <clears throat> That's uh, another challenge I have with particularly a lawyer right now because Finn, he's still working on his cognitive processing. Sometimes his, uh, his conversations are just a stream of uh, non sequiturs, like unrelated topics in sentence after sentence. So like one sentence will be like, I've got a dinosaur in my shirt, and the other sentence will be like, my milk cup is empty, and then the next sentence will be like, I have a blue motorcycle. Like it's very incoherent, right? He's grown, he's getting there. I mean, like he's not even four yet, so. But Elora, she's, she's got these, she plans out these whole scenarios in her head, right? And she'll get herself uh, in a physical bind. We've got this playhouse that we built with the swings and stuff. And she saw, seen some of the older kids in the neighborhood come over and they'll like climb up and down, climb out the window, right, and come on down. So then she'll try it and then she'll get stuck. And it's a real simple thing. It's just, she'll be like, Daddy, help me. And I'll come over and I'll be like, okay. I've tried this. I've tried jumping straight into like teacher mode, right, because, you know, that's what I do. And sometimes it doesn't always work. And I'll be like, well, let me talk you through what to do. You know, like, do this, do this. I can't do it. Do this. Oh, there's that negative self-talk, right? I can't do it. It's like, all you do is put your foot in. No, I can't do it. So you mean just get you down? Yeah. So then I'll take her down. Right? <laughs> However, there are other times where she say, like, Daddy, help. And I'll be like, do you want me to just do it? Or do you want me to, to talk you through it? And then she'll be like, well, talk me through it. So I'll talk her through how to get down. And I'm like, see, you did it on your own. Oh, she's really proud of that, you know? She grew in something that she realized that she could, she didn't think that she could do, but she found out she could do. That's kind of how the Lord does to us, right? Like, teach her the practical things, the, the wise things, and then her actions follow suit. That's what the scriptures are saying here. James is saying, God will offer you the wisdom. Like, if, you, if he knows that you have the capability of doing something, he will offer you the wisdom to figure it out. And he says that God gives wisdom liberally, right? Freely to any who ask, any who believe. The, the caveat is asking without doubt, right? It's like the, the guy who doesn't ask in faith, the guy that doesn't believe, like he, he shouldn't ask God for, he can't expect anything from God because he's, he's double-minded. <clears throat> so this kind of butts us up against a, a situation. So like, how do you know the difference between somebody who believes God but struggles in a particular area versus somebody who, who just doesn't ask in faith? Because it looks the same. And I think at the end of the day, what we can look at as uh, an example of somebody who believes God but struggles is, um, I forget where the passage is, but it's Jesus in his ministry. And uh, I believe it's the the demon-possessed boy that falls into, like, epileptic fits, falls in the water, falls in the fire, you know, and, and they had just come down off of the mountain, and the other disciples couldn't cast it out. And Jesus tells the guy, tells the father, like, like, do you believe I can do this? And the father's reply is like, yes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves is that we really do trust God, and we really do walk with Him. We really do believe. And there's a couple of areas where it's just like, I'm really struggling to trust the Lord in this. And He's more than willing to help our unbelief. Um, I don't think James is talking about a person like that. I think James is talking about somebody who 
in my opinion, has adopted a victim mentality where, like, I can never get out of this situation. This is just it's too big. I can never get out of this. And they don't really trust God, right? Is it that, like, 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 in theory, yes, God can get me out of this. But they don't really believe that he will. And they don't believe that they can do anything about it. And they don't even, like, it's like in a sense, like, they don't think God will do anything. So they don't even, when they ask, they, they just, the mentality is like, I'll ask the Lord, but I don't think he's going to give it to me. <laughs> like, that's, I mean, and, and that, we don't say that, right? We Christians, are like, we're like, we're conditioned. You don't say things like that because that's not faithful talk. How many times do we think it, though? Right? How many times do we think it? Like, you know, if the alternator goes out of my car, I can be like, oh, man. Like, Lord, I need a new alternator. First thing I'd go to in a situation like that, this, this is me, right? I'm just as human as, as everybody else. Is it like, oh, man, that's going to be, you know, $300 for the alternator. I might get 150 back for the core charge or whatever. It's going to take five hours worth of work because i got to take the radiator out to get to this thing because it's in sideways. You know, this is... I know, I'm getting into car analogies. Chuck would know, right? <laughs> um, so, the, and, and you know what I didn't do in all of that? Lord, give me wisdom in this. First thing I did, jump to task mode. Like, how do we fix this? How do we get her done? So if, I, if that's my first go-to, then I'm not really acting in faith. Because I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I'm not even trusting the Lord. And so the challenge, it's an opportunity, right? When we come across these things, even when we come across a difficult thing, it's a growth opportunity to turn to the Lord first and ask for wisdom and expect to get that wisdom. There's that expectation element. That's the difference between somebody who believes but has a little bit of a challenge and somebody who's double-minded. Is that whole expectation. Like, I'm going to go to the Lord, I'm going to expect Him to meet a need. Whether he shows me how to do it, whether he opens a door for an opportunity, or whether he closes a door, whatever it is, we're going to go with an expectation. So that's facing the hardships, right? The second thing we're going to look at is the challenge of materialism. And uh, Scripture talks about this in in a few places, that Materialism, material wealth, ends up being one of the greatest challenges to people's faithfulness to the Lord. Um, this is going to be expounding verses 9 through 15. Because what happens is that the material wealth, material well-being, sets the stage for an attitude of self-reliance. Right, So I can rely on my resources to get me out of something. <clears throat> And when I rely on my own resources, I'm not really trusting God, right? And so it's, it challenges our faithfulness to the Lord. Now, the money itself doesn't, right? The material resources, whatever it is, it could be material resources in terms of like owning property that produces raw goods, right? Lumber, coal, whatever. It could also be money. It could also be a wealth of experience in something. When we rely on that to the exclusion of trusting God for something, it becomes a detriment. And the more that we get, this is the challenge, is that 
the more we get, Paul says that it's not the money's the root of all evil, it's the love of money, right? It's the love of this mammon, right? We, we see those in the little footnotes in the bottom of the Gospels, mammon. It's that stuff that takes the place of trusting in God. When we have enough of that, it can fuel a desire for more power and more control. I've got enough material resources for this to have power over this, to have control over this. This is part of the human nature, right? So the more I get, the more power I want, the more control I want, the more power. I, I, knew, um, I knew a wealthy family years ago where like, the dad had divested like, a, a big chunk of his wealth into like, trust funds for his kids and then was controlling the kids through pulling the purse strings. There's a whole control element. Some of it, you know, might have been healthy. Some of it might not. I don't know. I, I don't know a lot about trust funds. I'll just put that out there. I'm learning. <laughs> but there was a control element uh, that was involved with that. <clears throat> and we have to remember, like, this was the third temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness, right? The first one was feeding your physical appetite. And the second was putting yourself in harm's way, expecting God to protect you foolishly. The third one, remember that? The devil took him and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he said, all of this can be yours if you bow down and worship me. Right? All the land, all the money, all the power, all the control over all the kingdoms of the world can be yours if you worship me. Now Jesus being the son of God, you know, he sees things a little bit differently. However, scripture does talk about the devil being the prince of the power of the air, right? The ruler of this world. So that offer was legitimate. The only thing that missed out on was that Jesus is not just the Lord over the world. He's the Lord over the universe. Why would he give up the authority of the universe just to have the authority of the earth, right? I mean, there's a whole thing there. We, that could be a whole philosophical discussion. So I won't get into it all that much more. But that was the third temptation. More power, more wealth, more control. <clears throat> uh, to do a slight jump onto the conspiracy theory bandwagon, the World Economic Forum, you guys have probably heard about that. Klaus Schwab, you know. There's a whole thing going up with that. First, and, and also, like, what we've seen in the last three or four years of, of things that have come out about, like, different organizations trying to wrest control over the populace. And uh, and that's why there's a song that came out that just went viral. It's not a particularly well produced song, and uh, but it struck a chord with a lot of people. And maybe you guys have heard of it. It's called the Rich Men North of Richmond. Like I, I'm nowhere near Richmond. I'm not in Southern West Virginia. I heard that song and I was like. He's hit a chord that a lot of people right now are identifying with. I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but it struck a chord because some of this pursuit of an all-out control over people is showing itself, and there's a reaction against it. <clears throat> and that's, that's human nature. It's the human way. Um, years ago, I know, I know that this... 
I have been, and, and to some degree, I'm still very uh, respectful of the work that Ravi Zacharias has done, even though a lot of negative things have come to light um, after his passing. Um, he shared a, an example one time when he was actually over in the Middle East talking with um, one of the leaders of the PLO or something like that, one of those like, uh, extremist uh, Muslim groups. And it was a sit-down forum. And he had a conversation with him. And he said, you know, the, the way they say, you know, like, the Muslims believe that Abraham took Ishmael to the mountain to sacrifice him. And the scriptures say that he took Isaac. And he, he identified that right out, right out, you know, with this guy. He goes, um, you guys say it's Ishmael, I, I, we say it's Isaac. He's like, here's the thing. The end of the story is the same, just as before the, the knife is ready to fall, the Lord stops him and says, I will provide the sacrifice. And they find the, the ram in the thicket. This is what he tells the guy, because it was all about like suicide bombers and stuff like that. He goes, unless we accept the sacrifice that the Lord offered, we will be sacrificing our sons and daughters on the battlefields for land and power and money. Unless we accept the sacrifice that God offers, we will sacrifice our sons and daughters on the battlefields for land and power and money. Now that could be a physical battlefield with guns and bombs. That could be an ideological battlefield in the universities. That could be a political battlefield in the school systems. It could be um, an employment battlefield in terms of um, what, what do they call it? The Equity stuff. Uh, anyway, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? Like, we're sacrificing the well-being of masses of people because somebody wants land and power and money. And the only way they can get more land and power and money is to wrest more control away from people. That's the world. That's how the world operates and we can see that trend. It's, it's pretty much out in the open. And I would posit to say, because that's the way of the world, that's how we're going to end up in the end times stuff. Because people trying to control the world with land and power and money are going to try to control everybody to the exclusion of Jesus, right? And so it's going to put those who are aligned with Jesus and the ways of God at war with the ways of the world. And it's going to come to a head. I'm not going to get into the rest of the end times, but we can see how that's going to get there. <clears throat> so materialism. Now can we see how that is going to be a great challenge to our faithfulness? Because we want more land and power and money and control. The only way we can get that is to get more land and power and money and control over other people which is just the opposite of what the gospel is all about. Right? The gospel is about giving everybody this freedom to pursue God right, all out and become righteous and holy. It's not about control. It's about relinquishing control. <clears throat> and then James gives us one of those doctrinal statement verses. He says, that you can't say... God tempted me because God doesn't tempt and he can't be tempted. 
we get tempted by our own desires, right? We're the source of our own temptation and desires. And the more self-reliant we are, the more we're free to pursue our own desires because we're not relying on God. We're not spending time picking up God's character. We're pursuing our own stuff. And this creates that cycle of destruction that he talks about. Desire begets sin. Sin begets death. So what's that process look like? It starts with a thought, right? You have a thought. Oh, whatever the thought is. You dwell on that thought. We focus on it. We entertain that thought. And that turns into a mental fantasy. Right? Whatever it is, that mental fantasy then prompts at some point uh, an acting out of that mental fantasy. We act it out. When we act it out, it over and over and over, it becomes a habit. When it becomes a habit, you know, this whole dopamine thing plays a role. The, the pleasure chemical that comes out in our brains starts happening. That habit then forms a, a lifestyle. That lifestyle then forms a value system that's built around it. And then that lifestyle, we start building up rationality and justifications for why we're, it's okay to do it. It's a whole sequence. And then all in the process, once we're entrenched in that, it leads to death of relationships. It leads to death of our mental wellness. It leads to uh, eventually physical death. So James is saying, stop it at the root, right? Don't be led away by the desires. Put those on the cross. So then he, then he pivots to uh, the more practical stuff. This is the end of the chapter, 19 through 27. How we conduct ourselves in accordance with all of the theory, right? All of the doctrine above. He's got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven really punchy points. <coughs> so we'll go through them. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. So listen, let your ears be bigger than your mouth, right? He, he breaks it down. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So our human anger, there's a place for it. But it's in the presence of God. It's not lashing out in, in the flesh. But he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. You find a source that's, that's, that's feeding your mind unhealthy stuff, you get rid of that source. Shannon and I, we've, we've finally bit the bullet and we've gotten rid of Netflix. And we've gotten rid of Amazon, right? So what, what do we have left? We, we've got, like, the Christian alternatives, right? And which, you know, like, they, they produce, like, B-level movies. Like, you know they do, right? Like, that's why it's always kind of a joke. Like, like what version of God's Not Dead on, are, are we on now? Like, what, seven? Something like that? But we have Pure Flicks. The good thing is that they have like some fun cartoons for the kids, which is kind of nice, right? We've got Pure Flicks. We've got this thing called Right Now Media, which we found through the homeschooling co-op. And uh, we've got like Angel Vid, which is the one that actually produced uh, The Sound of Freedom. Um, they've actually got a, a, a series of movies that they've done. And so we're like, you know what? They're, like, they, they're doing stuff. They're putting their money where their mouth is. And they're creating more quality content away from Hollywood. So we've got that. So we've, we've got some stuff. But we decided that we're just not going to pay these billionaires to feed us algorithms for mind control. You know, like, okay, I know that's like conspiracy theory language, but, but what you put before your mind over and over and over trains your mental patterns. 
right? So we just got rid of it. Get rid of moral filth and evil that's prevalent. We're going to keep our house clean. We're working on that, you know? And we're not perfect by any means. Like, I still watch a fun video on YouTube every now and then. But I own stock in Rumble, because <laughs> Rumble is, uh, you know, like a less censoring um, platform. So I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll throw some stock in there. Hmm. Humbly accept the word that's planted in you, which can save you. When you read scripture, right, when you read the scriptures and you process that, you're planting those seeds in your mind and in your heart. James is calling us to pull those out, to let them bear fruit, right? Humbly accept it. When I read scripture, sometimes I'll read something that's like, you know what, I am not living up to that. And I can either be like, oh, moving on to the next verse, which a lot of times we do, or I can sit down and I can wrestle with the Lord with that. You know, blessed are the meek. Am I meek? Do I struggle with this? Blessed are the peacemakers. Did I get in an argument with anybody this week? You know, like, like, do I wrestle through that? Blessed are the pure in spirit. Poor, is pure in spirit? Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Am I, am I poor in spirit? What does that look like? You know, like, do I wrestle through that to try to figure it out? Or do I just move on like, oh, what is that? And I'm moving on to the next one that I can really pick up, you know, like, blessed are those who give rather than receive, because that's easier to process. It's a little bit more, you know, edifying. So whatever, what do I do? Do I wrestle through the scriptures? Or do I do what um, James says not to do? Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive myself. I just listen to, oh yeah, I got the Bible on audio so I can listen to it while I write, drive down the road and the whole time I'm thinking about how frustrated I am with this person that's going slow in front of me. Like, am I being edified or am I just not paying attention to what the scripture is saying? That's happened before. And it probably happens more often than I care to admit. <laughs> but it's a challenge, right? That like, am I merely just listening to the words and deceiving myself? Say, I got my devotional time in because I passively listened to five chapters of Deuteronomy while I was driving to work? I don't know. Let's see. Like, how, how much mental engagement am I giving when I'm getting into the Scriptures? But don't just listen to it, but do what it says. Put it in action. Because he says, whoever looks intently at the perfect law gives them freedom, and it continues in it. Not forgetting what they've heard. And by doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. He also says, uh, those that don't keep a tight rein on their tongues to see themselves and their religion is worthless. You guys have heard the phrase, uh, loose lips sink ships, right? Like, if you don't think before you speak, you can cause a lot more damage because you're just clearly saying things. That's why I think, I believe it's in Matthew, Jesus says that like, like we'll, we'll give an account for every idle word that we speak. Right? And that's something that, you know, like, I work on. And it's something that I also take uh, seriously, even though I'm not doing it perfectly. But it's a, and, and he's got a whole section, I think, in chapter 3 about like the tongue being a fire. And then he says, True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. I know in Christianity in the last 40 years, the word religion has gotten a bad rap. The word religion means like this dry way for people to try to earn salvation. That's basically the popular definition of what religion means today. 
when James was talking about it, before that baggage got attached to it, he basically meant Christianity. Those who are ardently pursuing a Christ-like life. So when he, so if we put that in there and say that true, ardent pursuit of a Christ-like life that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows and their desires to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's uh, pretty good, right? You don't need a social justice cause if you're actually living out the mandates of Scripture. Um, because at that point, it's, it's really just justice. You're, you're justly treating other people in God's love. So, in conclusion, we wrap it up here. James starts by teaching us how to think, right? Difficulty produces character. It's not a detriment. Hard times are not... God's not going to use those to destroy us. He's going to use that to build us up and draw us closer to Him. It's an opportunity for growth. God gives us wisdom when we ask for it in faith. We act in obedience. That's what faith is, is we act in obedience to the Lord, believing He's going to be faithful. Our own senses of self-reliance is often a starting point for our temptation and, and moving us away from having faith in God. And then finally... Conduct that will improve our character and standing include listening more than we speak, keeping our cool and level head, not giving over to our anger, removing moral filth, uh, and, and we have to have a solid sense of biblical morality to be able to do that. So we've got to work on that if that's a struggle. We've got to let the words of Scripture correct us. So when we read something and we're like, oh man, I'm not living up to that, maybe that's something we should take to prayer. And then act accordingly. So that's a pretty simple rundown of uh, James chapter 1. So that'll get us started into the next four chapters, next four weeks. And uh, we'll see uh, what the Lord does with that. So I'm going to close this up. Then we're going to transition because I, I did ask the Lord for some words because he said, I didn't forget about prophecy time. You did. So I asked him for some words. <laughs> so, dearly Father, thank you for uh, your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that, that you remember prophecy stuff even when we forget. Uh, Lord, that you are good that way, that you care for us, that you love us, you have words for us. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, the words that go forth would bear fruit from your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, and that you would use them for your glory and your honor, uh, to set your people free, to bless your people, uh, and let them draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jerry, you can... Uh, you can Pause this part so the sermon part is done. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.